Hello and welcome. Today I'll be sharing an interview with Sandy Sutherland. Sandy was ordained in 2005. She went on to pastor at several churches, including the Crossing Church in St. John's, Newfoundland, and First Baptist Moncton. Sandy talks about her journey towards ordination and how she and her husband Gordon navigated the challenges of each having a unique ministry call. I'm Sandra Sutherland. I go by Sandy. I was born in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Um, Because of my dad's job, my family moved around a lot, all within New Brunswick. And whenever my mom and dad came to a new community, the first thing they did was find a church for us to attend. All my experiences of church were good and formative. We were members of the Forest Hills Baptist Church in St. John, New Brunswick. Um, My parents were actually charter members of that church, so they were really engaged in the ministry there in our community. And they had a tightly bonded group of good friends who were also charter members. All these adults became significant role models for me. And then when we went to uh, Campbellton Baptist Church in Campbellton, New Brunswick, there were people in that church that just really encouraged a few of us young people. We never really had a youth group or anything official, but we were given every opportunity to sing in the choir, even prepare and share devotionals. One uh, really significant pastor in my life was the Reverend Robert Steves, and he was in that Campbellton church. And he even took some of us into the hospital with him when he made pastoral calls. And he gave uh, some of us teenagers opportunities to preach. When I look back on it, was the beginning of me recognizing some of my gifts for ministry. And it definitely awakened more of my spiritual passion. I I actually tried to avoid uh, thinking about full-time ministry for myself for as, as long as I could. You know, I was planning to go on into a career in journalism. I picked that just because I like to write, and I was trying to figure out how I could get paid to write. I just had all kinds of ambitions. And then one weekend, a young adult in our Campbellton church, who was like a big brother to us teenagers, invited some of us to go to a retreat at Camp Wildwood in Bucktooth, New Brunswick. It was actually a retreat or camp that was being run by ABC students. Now, ABC is now Crandall University. And uh, that weekend, I really sensed God calling me to go to ABC when I graduated from high school. I was still just in grade 11. But the call was so clear to me that I lay awake all one night wrestling with it. And it wasn't until the sun was coming up in the morning that I finally said yes to God. Part of what I feared was that if I agreed to go into the ministry, which I figured might happen if I went to a Christian college, that I'd end up as a very lonely uh, single woman missionary uh, in some isolated post in the world, because I figured that's what ministry looked like for women. I did not want that. When I got to ABC, I was really affirmed in my leadership gifts, and it was during those years that I thought, well, you know, really the deepest desire of my heart is to become a pastor's wife. And now when I look back on that, I realized that that was the other role model that I had seen for women, 
who loved and served the church. But I still wasn't interested in, in ministry for myself. When I left ABC, I went on to Gordon College on the North Shore of Boston, as many of us did in those days. I was pursuing a, a BA in English, and it was just a couple of months before my college graduation that I knew clearly that I wasn't cut out to be a journalist and that I had to rethink my future. So I went to the library one afternoon and I spread three sheets of paper out in front of me. And on one, I wrote down everything I love to do. And on the next one, I wrote down everything I know I can do. And on the final one, I wrote down everything I hope to do. And the pattern was unmistakable. My heart was for the church and for church ministry. But I was stumped um, because there was still no pastor for me to marry. <laughs> I thought, oh, Lord, what do I do? How do I do this? And then the Lord helped me realize that there was a way. When I was a student at ABC, the director of student life was Christine McDormand. And she went from ABC into a local church as their director of Christian education. And uh, I think Chris probably forged the trail for a lot of us because she slid into that role and um, she did church ministry beautifully. I realized I could follow her example. So that was my call. And I registered for my master's degree at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. The first thing I did when, when I sensed this as God's clear call in my life was call my parents. They were very affirming and blessed their hearts. I mean, they helped me financially and it was going to be significant. So I uh, checked it out with Chris and she was very affirming. And I called Reverend Steves. I used to call him the Rev. He was affirming. And I had one other terrific uh, friend and role model, professor back at ABC, Dr. Bob Wilson. Checked it out with him. And he was very affirming as well. So my story is a little bit unique, I think, in that that didn't mean ordination, pursuing ordination for me. That step didn't come until much later in my life. After I graduated from gordon Conwell, I knew I was called back to the Maritimes because uh, even though I flirted with the idea of staying in the States, God made it clear to me that this is the world I know best and this is where he wanted to use me in ministry. And um, by God's grace... I was able to just slide into a job here in New Brunswick. I went first to pastor at the Riverview Baptist Church. And because I was a director of Christian education, I was in a secondary position on the staff, and I wasn't required to be ordained to do that. So I, I started there with the Reverend Hugh McNally, who was yet another terrific mentor and role model for me, just a really great colleague in ministry. And then uh, I got a call to go and teach a couple of Christian ed courses back at ABC and also to administrate the student volunteer program. Every student had to do volunteer work in the church or in the community. And it was while I was doing that, that I met my husband, Gordon. They used to send instructors and professors out to do a lot of conference teaching. And of course, mine were always in Christian education. But Gordon showed up at one of these conferences. And um, actually, I thought, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that guy is so interested in Christian ed. He just never took his eyes off me. 
anyway, that was the beginning. <laughs> that was the beginning. Gordon went to Acadia. So we packed up and moved to Wolfville. And while Gordon was a student at Acadia, I worked Christian education part-time at the Wolfville Baptist Church. And so even though I was never a student at Acadia, I always felt bonded to the school. Then Gordon got called to the Spring Hill Baptist Church as their lead pastor. We were already expecting our first child, so I chose to stay at home. Our daughter came along the next year, and we were there for six years. In those years, I got to be the pastor's wife. I always wanted to be, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. But I couldn't sit on my Christian ed training. Then Gord got called to Truro, Nova Scotia, as lead pastor. I was still at home with the children, but I was getting really restless. I just longed to be back on a church staff where I could make my contribution. And Gord knew this and understood it. So when the West End Baptist Church over in St. John's, Newfoundland, called us, it's now the Crossing Church, uh, they inquired if Gord would come and be their lead pastor. And Gord asked them if they would be interested in hiring me to do some part-time Christian education. And their motto, I think, in those days was, well, we'll do anything once. <laughs> so they hired us both. And uh, in the beginning, my hours were few, but they continued to grow. Um, while we were in ministry there, loving every moment of it, this beautiful, gracious Christian gentleman used to come alongside of me and say, Sandy, you need to think about being ordained. And when he said it, I would just laugh. But you know what? He kept saying it. And finally, one day I said to him, I will begin to pray about this. I brought it up before the Lord, and there was just this growing sense um, within me that this was important and this was what um, he wanted me to do. I recognized that within my heart, I, I had this um, this naive and unrealistic sense of what it meant. You know, I was kind of caught up in the title of becoming a reverend, and I was afraid it would put a wedge between me and lay people and that it would somehow negate the ministry I'd already had. I know that doesn't really make sense, but at the moment, that's what I was dealing with. And I just thought, I just want to do what I know God wants me to do. And then one day, another pastoral friend of ours called Gordon at the church. I happened to answer the phone. I plunged in and took a moment to chat um, with this much-respected Christian leader. And I said to him, I, I, I think I am being called to be ordained. And he said, well, it's about time. And that kind of shocked me. But then he went on and he said, it's time that you had the church affirm your ministry and your gifts for ministry. And it's time you let the church hold you accountable for your ministry. And that really shocked sense into me. I said, well, Lord, if this is really what you want me to do, Please make it clear in these three conversations. And I knew I had a course to talk to my husband first, and then my children, our children, and then I wanted to check it out with my mom and dad again. So my husband, who has always been a thousand and ten percent supportive, this is the Reverend Dr. Gordon Sutherland, was just marvelous about it. I marvel at him because in so many ways, you know, it might be hard to move over and make room for a wife in pastoral ministry, but he's never, ever withheld his support. 
And it was funny when I talked with our kids, they were teenagers at the time, and they said with a smile, well, mom, we're already PKs. How much worse can it get? <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> and then when I called my mom and dad, my dad was quietly supportive. And my mom said, I have always felt that you should have the title reverend. When I was ready to be ordained, I already had my, uh, my MRE. It was a master's in religious education. I never really had to do an internship because of my cumulative years of ministry. I did have to write my statement of faith. I met with the examining council. That was more of a celebration than anything. Many of my good friends who I knew as colleagues in ministry were present on the council. Gordon was actually a member of the council at that time. Of course, they wouldn't let him participate, but he got to escort me into the room, and that just pleased everybody. And then my church blessed me with a beautiful service. When it was time for my ordination, I I invited Reverend Hugh McNally and my friend Chris to come and speak. I asked a couple of my dear girlfriends from the mainland to come over and read scripture and pray during the service. And because in my ministry of Christian education, I was serving four generations of people. I think, you know, we sometimes think of Christian ed as just for children and youth, but it's actually the teaching ministry of the church to adults as well. I asked four representatives from each of those generations if they would let me wash their feet during uh, during my ordination service. <laughs> they really didn't want to, but they did it for me out of love. And it was very significant for me. But what happened was I realized almost immediately that that little title of reverend rarely gets used in daily life. But what really happened for me during the ordination event experience process, whatever you want to call it, is I sensed a new power in my ministry and a greater freedom uh, to be who God was calling me to be as a pastor. It was just less about me and more about the Holy Spirit in me, um, less about me struggling and striving within myself, and just a greater freedom to lean into God and let God use me. We were actually in St. John's for 13 years. My role kept changing until at the end, I was the children's pastor. Gordon, meanwhile, had been working on his doctorate, and his thesis was on intentional intern ministry. Uh, when he finished and we were ready to come back to the mainland, that's the kind of work he began to do. And then I thought, well, what about me? We're breaking up the team here, Lord. Uh, what do I do? I wondered if it was time for me to shift out of pastoral ministry and to try my hand at a couple of other things. I went away on a retreat and spent a couple of days with a spiritual director. I, I just sensed clearly at the end of the retreat that God wasn't finished with me in pastoral ministry yet. And I had no idea what that was going to look like or how Gordon and I were going to be able to pull it off because he was going to have to move from church to church in the work that he was doing. So Gordon picked me up at the end of the retreat and he took me out for lunch. I was just sharing with him what God had put in my heart. And uh, we went back to work after lunch. I went into my office and opened my computer and there was, there was an invitation for me to apply to be the associate pastor at First Baptist Moncton. 
And at first when I looked at it, I shut my computer down because I thought, oh, Lord, that's too much for me. And then I opened it up again because I read it more carefully and I thought, Lord, those are all the things I'd love to be able to do now. I remember running down the corridor to Gord's office in tears. And I said, this is what's happened. How can we do it? And he said, we will find a way. And we did. I mean, I was at First Baptist Moncton for six years. Gord served four other churches during those six years. But we, you know, we did some specific things. We asked each of our churches for one weekend off a month so we could be with the other one in their congregation. Gord's was my first phone call every morning and my last phone call every night. And he came home every time he could. Um, There's no way we could have made it work on our own without his help. The two calls, mine and my spouse's, were clearly from the Lord. Sometimes we're afraid to ask churches that we serve for what we need. But the older I get, the more of an advocate I am for our self-care as pastors. And certainly that involves being able to nurture our marriage, negotiate very honestly with your spouse and with your churches what you need as a couple to protect your marriage and help your marriage to even grow stronger and flourish in the midst of those challenging circumstances. Yet I laugh now when I look back. There I was longing to be a pastor's wife. Look at where that part of my life has carried me, right? Because when I would show up in these churches that Gord was serving, they only knew me as his wife. And I I loved that role. In that role, I learned that the best thing you can do is simply love the people. That's all you have to do. And they love you back. There's nothing like it. God gave me just wonderful opportunities that I had never had before. I got to preach more. I began to conduct funerals. I did um, pastoral care with seniors. And um, one of my favorite things, which honestly, I never got to do it before because I was afraid to do it, I got to baptize. So I stayed until I officially retired at 65. And in these last three years, I was able to pursue a couple of other things that God was growing in my heart during my work as a pastor. So, for example, we had um, a pretty terrific experience with our children's ministry over in St. John's, Newfoundland. And um, I always felt that God wanted me to write it up in a book. So that's what I did after I retired. The second thing I felt drawn to was the ministry of spiritual direction. So in the last three years, I actually enrolled in a training program at the Emmaus Formation Center in Mississauga, Ontario. Did it all online because of COVID. So that's what I've been doing since. I don't know as I've ever been able to really sort out the joys and challenges in terms of me being a woman. The one I would say, the one that comes first to mind, is the opportunity to work on a team where there are both men and women using their gifts. I I just find that experience so, like I think of completion, I think of enrichment, I think of greater depth and scope. I never have had anything um, really difficult 
to deal with personally in my ministry because I am a woman. I mean, I've been engaged in some difficult conversations over the topic, but for me personally, I don't think there's been anything because I'm a woman. I think my challenges were more because I was in a secondary staff position, which comes with its unique challenges, and then my own broken personality and just the way that you know, I would deal with things insensitively or immaturely because of who I am, and I've had to learn um, some hard lessons that way. I have had the blessing of many godly, affirming men in my life, and they are among chief role models. A little further along in my ministry, I was actually asked to write uh, an article about women in ministry, and I I chose to research Reverend Josephine Moore. She was ordained in 1954. And um, a really neat thing is she was Reverend Hugh McNally's pastor in Prince William, but that was also the church my dad belonged to. Anyway, um, the more I got to know her, the more I could relate to her because she married one of the deacons in the Prince William Church, so she was a pastor and a wife. They had two children, like we did, so she was also a mother. She had a lot of role models among the men in her own family. Her grandfather, father, a couple of uncles were pastors. But here's the thing. She was never um, aggressive about being a woman in ministry. She simply had her eyes on the Lord. And I read testimony from her daughter that her heart was just longing to do what God wanted her to do, to honor and glorify the Lord. And, and that was her passion. And I just think that you can't argue with that in someone's ministry. No matter what you think, you just can't argue with it. I think, looking back, that I probably used the fact that I was a woman to uh, escape greater responsibility in my ministry. I would hold back and I would kind of let myself think it was okay because I was a woman and I didn't need to step up where basically I was just afraid to grow and stretch and take on more responsibility. But at some point in my journey towards ordination, the Lord showed me Galatians 3 verses 26 to 28 in an entirely new way. I always read these verses thinking that they were calling us to unity, which they are. They say, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And at that critical point in my experience with God, I saw everything usurped by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I saw every difference disappear in that um, powerful unity of the Holy Spirit. And then God spoke to me through that and said, if you, like all these others in Christ, have the Holy Spirit within you. You have gifts of the Holy Spirit that need to be used. The church needs those. Um, and I'm calling you to step up and use them. And, and I just recognize my responsibility that I couldn't hide behind being a woman 
and that I couldn't not step out and take risks, leadership risks, and and step into new opportunities to use my gifts. I mean, introvert was always hard for me. It still is. But only with God's enabling, with the courage and help that he gives me with his Holy Spirit, can I um, step up and step out. Thank you, Sandy, for sharing your story with this project. If you're enjoying Call to Serve, please rate and review the podcast and share the episode with other listeners. You can follow Call to Serve on Facebook and Instagram and learn more about the project at calledtoserve.ca.